I wanted to approach that daunting kind of fearful um, unknown that was in the back of my head and you know anytime the mind is touched by fear it makes up stories and those stories can be very destructive and they can make you make poor decisions um, for what you're trying to achieve. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews, discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. Today I'm joined by Damien Brown. Damien is an Irish former professional rugby union player turned extreme adventurer. He was capped by Ireland at under 21 level. He has played for Connacht, Northampton Saints, Breve, Leinster and Oyonnax, if that's the correct pronunciation. He began his career with Galwegians before entering a contract with Connacht in 2001. He now has achievements in a broad range of physical endeavours, including winning the Heineken Cup with Leinster in 2012, multiple-time indoor rowing champion with some all-time category records. He ran the Marathon des Sables, which is one I'm familiar with. He has summited five of the seven summits. And in 2017, he completed the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge solo after 63 days, 6 hours and 25 minutes at sea. And most recently, he became the first person to row from New York to Galway, completing this trip on October the 4th, 2022, after 112 days at sea. Now, ocean rowing is a form of long-distance rowing in which rowers travel thousands of miles across open waters, usually from one point to another. The history of ocean rowing dates back to the late 19th century, when sailors and adventurers began to explore the oceans in small rowboats. Since then, ocean rowing has become a well-established sport, with numerous solo and team events taking place every year. Ocean rowers often face challenging conditions, including rough seas, strong winds and unpredictable weather, making it physically and mentally demanding sport. Now, Damien has done quite a few podcasts and some great information on his website. and so You get lots of stuff on YouTube. So I want to focus a little bit more on the other stuff that Damien has done, but we will have to include the rowing because I think that's a very, very important part of it. And it's the reason we, I suppose have met up because I, I met Damien at one of his talks we were at an event last week and again last night and with Damien as an extreme adventurer and athlete he's continuously exposed himself to hardship and suffering for these extraordinary experiences so it's hard to pigeon them hold them into one particular category and I'm wondering if he's Damien the rugby player or Damien the adventurer so Damien welcome to the podcast John thanks for having me hell of an introduction for a play Do, any corrections to it well, um, in terms of myself, no, uh, all good. Um, you're very kind. Um, now, you seem to look for experiences that uh, experiences that have a hardship. And from what I know, it's to improve your method of, of I suppose, continually achieving success. At, like you, you go into something that success isn't a given. So you go into something that's a high risk of failure. Why would you do that? In a, two words, maybe, um, to self-realization, so to like maximize my potential while um, I can. And the way I've, the, the method I have discovered and practiced to, to get more out of myself is constantly pushing my physical and mental capacities past what I would 
at that time, whenever that might be, perceive as my limits. So I think uh, what you get from that is a, a broadening of many different human um, endowments and capacities like your consciousness, your self-awareness, your um, physical capacities, your um, capacities to endure, your mental capacities. Uh, anytime you push past any sort of perceived limit that you had, you have an opening of the mind, you have an understanding that there is more um, within inside us. So that kind of gives a broader perspective and it uh, creates a, what we call a paradigm shift. You know, we all have these maps in our minds, how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves in the world, uh, how the world should be. And all of a sudden that map has been shifted a little bit because the map is not the territory, as they say. Um, the map is just how you see it, you know, and all of a sudden you see it a little bit differently because you've done something you didn't think you could do. You've gone into moments of um, doubt and insecurity and you've come out the other side, you persevered through that, you've gotten through that. Once, you know, you felt, oh my God, I'm not going to do this, not going to be able, I'm going to have to quit, I'm going to have to stop, but you found a way through those moments and all of a sudden you've broadened that um that uh, map that you had that understanding that you had and, and that's a very for me that opens up my mind you know uh, and you continually do that um your map expands and expands and expands and you have a different way of looking at life and, and navigating life and um you have stronger tools you have sharper tools to um to take on life so um yeah it's you know that you can imagine how well that practice serves me then when i come back into everyday life but is that not the complete opposite of what you were doing as a rugby player when the sole focus is on winning when you go out on a team sport like that it's to win you don't go out you know expecting to lose so it's a totally different mentality slightly right so um you still have to have that drive so rugby the professional sport and the professional environments are um environments at least for me and i see this in a lot of people they're just their survival of the fittest like because there's there's an enormous pressure to perform all the time there's enormous pressure internally from your own ambitions there's in pressures externally from coaches from players and their standards the values of the environment and and what they purport so um to be able to survive in that world you got to have a um, belief and a uh, mentality to always be looking for more, pushing yourself, pushing your body, pushing your mind. So, so that was kind of the genesis of it for me, you know, understanding that what that way of living constantly demanding more of myself, what that brought me, the rewards of that. Um, okay, within the sport, then there is an outcome that we all want. And if that doesn't happen, um, you are disappointed and you're reflective and you try and do everything within your power to, to make that happen. But at the same time, for me to be the best kind of teammate, to be the best cog in that wheel to try and win, I have to have that mentality to be looking for more, for constantly raising my standards, constantly um, trying to be better, be a better rugby player. And, and that's kind of where I discovered within that mentality, where I discovered the rewards of it. You mentioned mindset. When you started this particular challenge, you trained as a two-person team and all the planning was done as a two-person team and you started the role as a two-person team, but then it changed. What happened? 
So uh, Gussie was my partner, a very good friend. We've been friends since we were 19 years old. He, um, the reason or one of the main reasons I asked Gussie to be my partner was because in 2018 he had a workplace accident and he was paralyzed from and he had no sensation below his belly button um and he went on this incredible journey despite the prognosis from the surgeon and all the consultants that he had five percent chance to ever regain any sensation below his belly button proved them all wrong uh not only regained his sensation um but regained his mobility relearned to walk went into the national rehabilitation hospital here in dunleary uh, flat on his back and walked out 16 weeks later so i was a close kind of observer to that observer to that journey and i saw in him a lot of the values that were going to be needed a lot of the actions that were going to be needed to um to endure on the north atlantic so i posed the question and he um he had kind of muted to me that he was interested in doing something anyway now, what we didn't probably see, particularly myself, was that um, the extremes of the North Atlantic row were too much of a stretch for where he was at in his journey back to kind of um, what you might say, I suppose, everyday existence and, and a, a physically healthy um, body to do that. So it really stretched him. Um and uh, he started to break down kind of the end of week one where uh, we had to really push. Like my mentality was very, very aggressive. It was one of non-acceptance. Like it doesn't matter what the ocean throws at us. We will not be subservient to it. We will not be dictated to it. We will row. So that meant that even how slow it got, I just kept pushing us, pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, the the common thinking around in, in ocean rowing would be, below uh once the boat goes less than a knot that you put out the power anchor and you rest and you take that time because the the effort that is expended is not um worth the rewards but uh i knew from looking at the stats of failures on the north atlantic that most of them went wrong within the first week about 85 percent you know there's only a 39 percent success rate with crossing from new york to europe so uh and 13 uh, and of that of all those failures of the whatever that is 61 percent of people who fail um about 85 percent happened in the first seven days so i knew that that first seven days was crucial so i just kept pushing for every mile we could get every mile it didn't matter how slow we were going it mattered it was important it may well be the difference between success and failure uh, and that just that just basically um, was too much for Gussie. And on um, about day 12, he was suffered from extreme exhaustion. He measured his O2 um, blood sats and they measured at 86. And, and then that was an indicator coming off his history in the... Um, in the matter spinal unit uh, after his surgery he was rushed to icu when his o2 sats dropped below um 90. so uh once i heard that um i knew that he was going to have to be evacuated off the boat it wasn't my call it was we had a land support doctor who made the call but uh you know he he clearly it was dangerous he clearly needed supplemental oxygen and uh and he was yeah medically evacuated by a big tanker actually we had to get him taken one it got redirected by the US Coast Guard and they came and picked him up and uh and uh yeah that was it. He was gone back to New York and I was on my own. When that tanker picked Gussie up, 
if you were then told that you can't continue unless you replace them with someone who's on this tanker, how would you pick that person? <laughs> Great What characteristics question. are you looking for? Uh, work ethic. Um, uh, toughness. You know, it's a, like ocean rowing is really, um, it's just constant discomfort. You know, to give you a, a, a kind of an overview of that, okay, you have to row 12 hours a day. Um, but when you're not rowing, uh, you have to get into a cabin that is uh, claustrophobic, has very little airflow through it, if none, and is about 40 odd degrees in there because the cabin hatches have to be closed. So you have to try and sleep basically in a sauna, you know. So you got to be able to just kind of uh, accept the hardships of it very, very quickly and uh, understand you can't do anything about it, not dwell on it too much and, uh, and just get on with it. So there's a lot of stuff that has to kind of be accepted and swallowed. So you're looking for a level of physical and mental toughness and a, a huge, huge work ethic. So let's go back a bit again. You asked Gussie about doing this challenge. He agreed. If he said no, do you think you still would have gone ahead with the planning? To, do you think you would have perceived it as possible? I Yeah, I would have because it's been done before. Um, and I, I would have attempted it. Um, but... I've read a quote from you before. I have no maritime experience. In my training, I've been in some decent conditions on the west coast of Ireland. But but I think with what we're, we're faced with tomorrow and over the first seven days will be another four to five steps above that. So yeah. even the way you're phrasing that, it's, it's, we, it's, it's a team mentality. Yeah. So you, you don't come from a, from a rowing background. No, no. No. No rowing background, no maritime background, no. I, what I do have, though, is uh, 63 days experience of rowing solo now in a different body of water and, and different um, conditions but you know that serves and you had a bit of a safety net with that one in comparison yeah there's a framework in terms yeah. of there's a race and uh, somebody is yeah so on this one it's totally independent so really you're, you're, although you can't see anybody you're not on your own isn't that yeah to a certain yeah. extent because you know there's um Somebody's watching, yeah. right? Somewhere, yeah. Whereas even though one, you can't, and no matter what direction you look, you can't, you, you can't see them. Nothing. So, right. So you reckon you, st- you still would have doing it, but what was it like when Gussie was taken off, and all of a sudden you were on your own, and you have to. So you had to row away from New York, which I, I would, I would think that that was relatively easy because you're heading home, but now you're you've stopped at this boat, so you you kind of. It's almost like having a finish line brought towards you. So you could have bailed out as well and justifiably. And, you know, nobody would have said anything. About it. it wouldn't have been seen as mm. quitting as such because it was a forced stop. What was it like making those first few pulls to get you away from that boat? The reality dawned that, like, Gussie's gone. And, and there, there was a lot of emotion, a lot of sadness, a lot of heartbreak, because we put a lot of time into this together. And a lot of the imagery for me was always around the, the emotional imagery, you know, was always around the two of us finishing in Galway. Um, but then once I kind of get, once I had a bit of space to think about what was ahead, you know, I became very daunted by what that looked like to me. You know, there was a lot of unknown to it. Uh, two and a half thousand miles left at that point um, and you know the the knowledge at least the information I had on the North Atlantic was that um, 
there was going to be it's all these little microclimates so that means the wind is inconsistent and wind is the biggest factor in um, manipulation of an ocean rowing boat so I knew there was going to be times where it was going to be really really hard of course what happened was was kind of multiplied by that many times but anyway it still meant that I was kind of there was a, an element of fear there so I was like my way of dealing with fear is approach um so I want to get into it. I, I want to take the unknown out of the situation. I want to experience it. I want to live it. I want to feel it. Um, so that meant I actually became quite like almost cold to, to Gussie's kind of um, situation. Like he was, he had to get off the boat then to after, you know, this is a new number of hours because it took about 12 hours in total between um, getting the word that he was been evacuated to actually it happening, you know. And I just wanted to get going, get going because I wanted to approach that daunting kind of fearful um, unknown that was in the back of my head. And, you know, anytime the mind is touched by fear, it makes up stories and those stories can be very destructive and they can make you make poor decisions um, for what you're trying to achieve. So, like I said, I need to get into it. I need to approach it. So I was like, right, you know, we got to get him off the boat now. We got, and I got to get rowing. I got to get rowing. So when that actually eventually happened and he was taken, um, I was in actually a good, in terms of rowing conditions, it couldn't have been any better. So it was uh, a sunny day and there was a bit of swell, and but we were in the Gulf Stream, which is this big band of current that runs up the north um, east coast of North America and out into the Atlantic. So that's like an unbelievable carrot for an ocean rower on this route to find and to use. Uh, and we just got into it the day before. So... I was very like conscious of trying to make the most of that. So that first day I actually, I kind of put the head down and, and rode and I made great mileage and I was able to kind of avoid the emotion of losing Gussie through that, um, that goal of making the great mileage and actually concentrating on it. But then there was kind of a, then it hit me like about a day and a half later, hit me like a ton of bricks emotionally. I, I really struggled for about five days after that, trying to process the fact that now I was on my own and this was not, I wasn't here to do this on my own, you know, and I uh, had, had to have a big, so so I did two things to help myself that I give myself some space from my own standards. So I, I depressurize myself. So I was trying to row 12 hours a day and I was really struggling to get to that um, metric. You know, it was really difficult and um, I had to, which is something very unusual for me to do, but I had to kind of dial off and give myself some space to be able to process that emotional toll. I was toil I was taking on through Gussie's leaving so I had to kind of dial back and say look 10 hours is enough if you just do 10 hours a day that's enough and then I was able to over time once I reset um, emotionally and mentally I was able to ramp that up and I started adding on half an hour over the course of the next whatever three months or so but uh, um, yeah so that that was kind of what I was thinking around that time. The way you describe leaving that liner, it's almost like that Irish mentality was at least it's not raining or if it's raining, well, at least it's not windy. It's it nearly like you're convincing yourself that the conditions were okay, that you you kind of played that little mental trick. Because uh, my thinking would be, all of a sudden you've no one to talk to, you've no one to share the load with, no one to vent your frustration with, no mm. one to have a laugh with, mm. and more importantly, no one to share the misery. Mm. And I've seen a video of, of your boat capsizing and one of the capsizes 
you had a hatch open and water got in. Mm. Now, that's your fault. Mm. But if somebody else is on, on the boat, it could be their fault. So, you know, you you have somebody to have a little bit of an argument uh, with about issues that, that happen. But now you have to accept all the blame. And that in itself is quite difficult. Because it lets you see how careless or how mindless you you have been. So I'm going to, how, how do you shift the mindset like in the in the middle of uh, adversity to going from a shared load to just okay it's just you now because I had asked you previously how long you expected the journey to take and you mentioned around 55 days mm. you were over twice that so mm. now you have to de- so everything changes and that's not just it's not just more time in the water but it's more time with your body breaking down mm. more time in your own headspace more time away from people that would that would get in on you how do you shift your mindset to be able to cope with that i would say my mindset's pretty like uh healthy generally cuz the reason i'm doing it kind of works on a number of levels so like it works for me um my why uh like that self realization piece i'm getting um, I'm grateful for the challenge. I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's a privilege to be out here. So it's very important to have that perspective uh, or at least to be able to access that perspective when things get really hard. Um, it works well in terms of uh, for those around me, even though I'm putting them through um, uh, a major kind of um, period of unknown and all the fears that that bring and then the sacrifice as well I'm asking of them but um, I believe if you are lifting yourself up um, you're lifting those around you up like a lovely analogy I use with that is can you imagine a, somebody places a tissue on the middle of the table and you're in the center of the tissue and on the four corners you have your loved you say your parents and your brother and sister on another corner your friends that are closest to you uh, or your kids and then on the other one uh, you have those people who are witnessing and engaged in what you're doing from you know various levels or various distances of um uh, from the the action and then you're lifting yourself up so you're in the middle so to kind of um reflect that attitude of demanding more from yourself you pinch the middle of the tissue and you lift it up well what happens the four corners they lift up with you so i feel that people around you um if you're doing it for the right reasons uh they get something from it and then the the broader collective consciousness who are watching in from afar so that was a big thing about sharing the journey as authentically as possible you know they're been touched in some way by you living authentically and uh living through your heart and trying to do something pure to yourself so um as long as it covers all of those things i feel that you're like my mindset at least around it is pretty fixed and i can I can endure, I can endure whatever comes at me. Now, that's not to say there's not like incredible times of frustration, agitation. Like I would say those emotions were like ever present the whole time out there. And then there's like demoralization, disillusionment, and even like like despair at times. And in fairness, uh, the reality is uh, Gussie became a a image of uh, projection for me he became somebody that all of those kind of negative emotions got projected onto out of nearly necessity you know out of having to have something someone that I could aim all that kind of very 
difficult to process kind of melange of negative emotions at um thankfully when i got to the other side when i hit galway bay and i finally felt i was safe and i'd achieved what i wanted to achieve um that just washed away you know that didn't serve me in any way anymore to hang on to that and it was just this very organic kind of like weight off my shoulders um because i was worried about that you know i didn't want uh, our friendship has been you know ever present in our lives for 25 years or so and i didn't want anything to um get in the way of that that's more important uh so yeah it was just a case of um uh and then the one other thing was i had a the vent that really helped as well was podcasting <laughs> um having uh, at the end of, mostly at the end of every day i'd like kind of lie down once i got in the cabin got all the wet clothes off got myself dry did my skincare kind of um routine and crawled into uh my only one and only kind of comfortable warm space for the night that was a nice feeling and then just kind of talking into the phone you know doing a kind of daily dispatch from the ocean um and trying to be as kind of open and honest about that what i was going through that was a really important vent for me you know that i was getting it out of myself in some way in so many different points of that answer i could have stopped you (laughs) and gone in a different direction with a question I was just about to go on to Galway, but I'm thrown back to something now that you mentioned earlier about the, uh, as soon as you mentioned getting into, into bed at night. If we were rowing uh, New York to Galway and you're going into the cabin to have a rest, do I stay out rowing? Yeah. Okay. So when you were on your own and you mentioned you put down the, the para anchor, the, you knew, when you were sleeping, mm. you know that you're heading back towards Mm. New York. And then you mentioned earlier about rowing even though the effort was not worth the reward. Mm. Because you were heading in the direction of home, did that make it easier to put that extra effort in in for very little gain? Mm. Uh, Because the draw was bringing you towards your Galway Mm. and Ireland. If you were going in the opposite direction where you were... The you were being kind of pushed back towards home. Do you think it might have been harder to actually do the do the extra row strokes that weren't giving you the same distance? So if I was like rowing away from rowing Galway, away from Galway, yeah, yeah, I'd be pushed back. I I imagine it would have been mentally harder, you know. And and the, the key to this is that's all it is it's mentally harder so you have to control your mind in those states because effort is effort right and effort is pure um and it there's a reality in effort so if i can concentrate all my well if i can dial in my concentration on generating effort well then time passes you know um so it's taking all the emotion out of what i'm doing and that's by doing we can do that through the powers of concentration concentrating on an action that is within our control um because the truth of it and particularly if the situation was like that that um that 
mental, emotional connection with home would weaken your state, you know, and it would. And when you're in a kind of more fragile, vulnerable, weak mental state, well, then you make poor decisions through the negative emotion that's swirling around in us and the wash of you know effects negative effects that has over us you make poor decisions so you would be more inclined or definitely more susceptible to making a decision where you might stop you might quit well let's go back to Galway again so the finish line you climb off the boat in Galway and for the first time in months you're standing without fear of falling you're surrounded by more people than you can imagine flashing lights you've gone from talking to your phone (laughs) venting your frustration to your phone with no one talking back you can't prepare for what the finish line is actually like, especially when you've been away from human contact for so long. Mm. How do you cope with the finish line? And what was the next day like and maybe the next week? It was, I, was, I felt like it was very strange. I never had uh, that experience before where, you know, I was present and um, I was polite and all that sort of stuff cordial but I was I was disconnected from any sort of emotion like I was I just couldn't link into you know I didn't know what I felt that's the best way to describe it people are asking me how do you feel you must be delighted you must be relieved and I was like I'm I'm none of those things because I can't connect to it what I'm yeah I I just I, I was just there like uh, it was really strange. It lasted about two days until I felt like okay, I'm back to normal. I'm not in that really weird, strange state where I'm disconnected from or I'm not feeling anything as such. If you get me, um, but yeah, so that was it. Was a kind of it was you know overwhelming to a certain extent. It was lots of people kind of getting pulled out of you. You were trying to see your parents. Um, Roselle, Elodie, my little one, uh, friends were there, you know, and uh, um, and you were trying to uh, give people, you know, some of your time because I was very grateful and appreciative for people to come and, you know, get engaged and come in and take some time out of their day to come down and welcome me in. But uh, I was really disconnected from it all, which was very bizarre. Yeah, the physical side of these things is easy. Like the, the training is easy and then the recovery is easy. You just need to rest. And... For, for someone who's highly motivated and someone who, who's in, involved in sport and adventure, we're, our training, everything we do is, is, is because we're kind of driven mm. and motivated towards it. And sometimes the hardest thing for someone who's highly motivated to do is to do nothing, yeah. take it easy and be comfortable. But it's very, very hard to not only train for the mental side, but have that mental recovery. Do memories of the row ever wake you at night? They don't, they don't wake me as such, no. It's very, uh, it's a bit disappointing, I must say. And not that they don't wake me. What's disappointing is that they fade and they fade dramatically quickly. Like, you know, because there's some, uh, and there's some moments where they're not like extraordinarily high, but they're not extraordinarily low, but you, you appreciate them and you take them in. Uh, and they become a uh, distant memory really quickly and and they're they're a nice memory so you don't really want to lose them but they they just disappear and they particularly on this crossing or sorry after this crossing I felt that they were they were leaving me too quick and I was like oh that's not fair I don't want them to go you know I, I appreciate them um, and then what sticks around is the kind of big high points and big low points in terms of in your kind of more uh, short-term memory or your more accessible memory um, and it takes 
certain kind of triggers to get back into the other stuff that's just not accept- accessible on a, on a very shallow level in terms of like psycho- psychologically. So um, that's that's disappointing um, if if you know if people understand the use of that kind of verb. Now, last week we were at the Pendulum Summit, which is a fairly big corporate uh, event, and thousands of people had it. You were centre stage. Last night we were at the outside of the wards and again centre stage. So there's a lot of attention, people dragging out of you. If that had have happened maybe two weeks after the row, do you think you could have coped with it in the same way? Not sure. Two weeks post the row, I was no, I wasn't in a bad place. I I did physically. I mean, as you said, physically you, you adjust back into everyday life pretty quickly. Mentally, uh, I would say I'm still pretty like in terms of emotional energy to to do something into particularly physically. I'm still empty. Like I I've made two attempts at getting back into training, and I've ended up tapping out once after only a couple of days, and the other time after about three weeks. Um, normally that's unusual for me normally I'd like whatever gets comes up I just plow on with my training and get it done and, and I really prioritize it but I've just noticed that in this period I've really not had the, that emotional energy to kind of persevere through it so the cup I think the expression you used earlier and I think it's very prevalent here is the cup is kind of empty mentally and emotionally and I just got to let that you know come back naturally and it will it will come back you know but right now um, and particularly at that point only a few weeks after the two weeks after the arrival i i'm not sure um i would have dealt dealt with it to the same level of proficiency as i i do now about acceptance is a big part isn't it with the whole mental sort of things yeah now resilience is one of the buzzwords now at the moment during the row would you say you were building resilience or practicing resilience and what do you think makes someone resilient well, I think to build anything, you have to practice, right? So ever, as far as I'm concerned, everything is practice. So like we we chatted outside just before we came in here and we talked about um, the tools needed, the values needed to take on desert ultras or ocean rows. Um, they're either going one way or the other. You're either practicing them and you're sharpening them and deepening them and inbuilding them, or you're not practicing them and they are getting dull and they're getting unused. Um, and uh, so when I'm in the middle of something like that, I'm definitely practicing these values that are really important to me. I don't think resilience is something particularly that can be practiced. I think you have to have a mindset um, that puts you into like these kind of situations physically and mentally where you are enduring some sort of adversity be that uh, internally or externally or both and then you are um, persevering through that and then resilience is a byproduct of that adversity and your your mentality your mindset to push through it yeah that makes that makes sense and as you were talking outside i was mentioning this the south pole and how i had was speaking to you last night about trekking to the south pole and then Let's do it. shortly afterwards, <laughs> I after walking from the bus up to the house, I was feeling cold and I'm feeling, yeah, it's one thing saying you're going to do something, but another thing actually doing it. And I feel I'm out of practice and I'm getting soft. Mm. Now, would you be, go when you mentioned there slacking off in your training a bit or not having the same kind of drive, do you think it's that you could be goal-orientated and you need some other big challenge? And how do you 
now I know you've done five of the seven summits but mm. how do you kind of top something like this I definitely think I'm I'm somebody who needs direction in life and I, I mean I, I'm pretty could say that confidently about most people it's really important to have some direction um I feel that um it helps us get the most out of the time and time ticks by all the time and and it can get to a point where you look back and you go you can have regrets so um those goals whatever they may be definitely help me firstly uh direct my actions uh every day and then um they also help me understand and get more from my actions through reflection through um trying to trying to um improve what i'm doing so i'm trying to tr improve the processes the training processes the mental methods that i'm using um i don't know what's next it's kind of uh, an unknown for me uh, i know that i need some time to rest as we talked about let that cup refill and replenish um, I have some ideas, um, but uh, how do I top the North Atlantic? Uh, I'm not sure. It, it had such connection for me, like particularly I, I saw it as kind of a legacy piece in my life because I was able, like I'm from Galway, so rowing into my hometown and making an impact on on. Gen any generation looking but particularly the younger generation to you know to see a, a touchable action somebody who grew up on the same streets as them somebody who breathes the same air as them has 24 hours the same 24 hours in the day so if he's doing it you know and a big belief i have if somebody can do it i can do it so if he's doing it well why can't i you know uh get a little bit more for myself why can't i um follow my heart and live my dreams or at least pursue my dreams in life in whatever avenue it doesn't have to it can be anything it doesn't matter so so that was a big driver for me like and that's why i kind of saw it as a legacy piece and it's tough because uh, in terms of what's next because like how do you <laughs> how do you kind of replicate that in any way or how do you um how do you connect that piece you know that touchable action piece which because uh, there's not much stuff you can do really in the west of ireland on such an epic um, scale so uh yeah i think it'll be hard to top that no I, I really enjoyed the chat and i'm left with more questions now but <laughs> you're tired for time we'll so do it again yeah well yeah, yeah well please yeah. if now we we've been trying to put this together we, we did this in a fairly short space of time but, yeah, yeah. but we've chatted a lot over the last couple of weeks and I think each time that we chatted it could have been a different conversation mm, if we mm. were recording because I'm trying I'm coming up with questions based on what you were saying but we had some good chats now just around a, a cup of coffee and, and just kind of standing around killing yeah. time so <laughs> it's been really interesting uh, before you go have you any quotes or mantras anything you'd like to leave us with or there's one I mentioned actually last night, if you probably remember, and it's um, it's something that came up for me in the middle of the row, and it was something that helps me concentrate, like get out of my kind of emotions and get out of the effects of those and concentrate on the work. And uh, it was, people might have heard it, it was chop wood, carry water. And it came from uh, something I read before, uh, an expression in Zen Buddhism where they say, before, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So uh, what that kind of, on the ocean at least, what that meant to me is to, you know, stay present, concentrate on what's within your control and do the work, do the work. And I think um, that's uh, something that can get 
easily passed over. It's not sexy. It's not, um, doesn't sell, you know, but it's the key is doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. And, and that's the thing that helped me. So yeah, chop wood, carry water. The work is never done. It's always in progress. Exactly. Well, thanks again, Damien. Thanks for your time. And if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, please uh, pass it on to a friend, subscribe, leave a review. And I will get a follow-up chat with mm. Damien in the, in the near future. And I might, I'm not going to say anything about it. We'll just uh, let it happen. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be more of a, of a chat like what we had before. And I'll just set the recorder going. Because even before we started this mm. chat, Damien was chatting to one of the guys here in Great Outdoors, Derek. And I could have recorded that and it would have gone out equally as good as, as a podcast. So it's a very interesting uh, topic, subject, and everyone has a different question. So actually, if anybody has any questions, maybe they could send them in to me mm. and I'll work them into something. So yeah. thanks again, Damien. Thanks All the so best. much, John. Cheers.